You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good morning to those who are watching in the chapel, and good morning to those watching online, and good morning to those who are here live and in person in the Life Center today. If I wasn't a preacher, I think I'd be an astronaut. There, there would be a few problems with that, more than likely. One, I'm, I'm terrible at math. I'm terrible at math. I'm barely, barely past high school algebra. Um, secondly, I'm a little fearful of heights. So that could present itself to be a little problem being an astronaut. Thirdly, I think it's those first few moments of liftoff that would just devastate my stomach like I would just turn inside out you know by the time it gets to the third rocket when that fires those guys are going 22,000 miles an hour I mean really I would throw up in my spacesuit and with no gravity I mean it would be a, a terrible thing so now that I've processed that with you out loud I think I'll just stay being a preacher but I do I like astronauts and there's one astronaut that I have been intrigued with pretty much all my life. His name is Charles Duke. And Charles is actually still alive, lives down in New Braunfels, right down to I-35, strong follower of Christ. He was on the Apollo 16, that he was the, the lunar module pilot. And he became the 10th person to walk on the surface of the moon and the youngest in, in history to walk on the moon, 36 years old when he walked on the moon. And he did something that I, I, I love. And if I ever were to get better at math and my stomach were ever to settle and me not be so afraid of heights, and I ever made it to the moon, I would like to do the same thing. What Charles Duke did is he put a picture of his family and left it there on the surface of the moon. In fact, this is the actual picture of his family that he placed on the surface of the moon before he returned to earth. Um, on that picture is his wife and his two kids and his old grandfather as well. In fact, you can see the picture a little bit closer up right here. There it is. So that, that's them on uh, the picture. I know that's funny for like 12 more hours, so I figured I'd better squeeze it in right now while, while I could. Actually, here's, here's the real picture of, of Charles and his family. That's his wife, Dorothy. Uh, that's his oldest son, Charlie, his youngest son, Tommy. Um, but go to that picture one more time. That, that is a real picture of a real picture. I mean, what, what Charles did is he took a picture of the picture that he left. So it's a picture of a picture. Again, a real picture of a real picture, which really is what the Old Testament is. It's a real picture of the real picture that is to come. It's a real picture of real people and real stories and real redemptive narratives that point us to the real story, the real redemptive narrative, and the real person of Jesus Christ. That's a whole big portion of, of the operation of the Old Testament. The purpose of the Old Testament is to point us, is a picture of a picture, a real picture of the real picture of Christ. And so today, we're going to see in the Old Testament, I believe, one of the most beautiful and most powerful pictures of Christ and the person in the story, the redemptive narrative of Joseph. So here's Joseph's story. He was 17 years old, 
had 10 older brothers and his father, Jacob, we looked at him last week because he was wrestling God. His father, Jacob, loved Joseph the most, which caused a lot of dysfunction in the family. The brothers were fully aware of this and they hated Joseph. And so one day when the 10 older brothers were out tending sheep, the father, Jacob, sent his beloved son, Joseph, to go check on And as the brothers saw Joseph approaching, they began to plot his death. So by the time Joseph got to them, the the 10 brothers, the 10 older brothers, they had devised this plan. We're going to drop him into an old, dried up, useless well, and we'll just leave him there to die. And we'll come up with a story. So they did this. They, They dropped him into a well, and then they went to eat lunch while they heard their brother crying out for his life. Judah, probably the one with the least compassion in all the brothers, said, hey, I got a great idea. Let's don't just kill him for nothing. Let's sell him for a profit. And so there were some traveling merchants, some Ishmaelites who were coming to the land. And so the older brothers of Joseph, the 10 older brothers, sold Joseph into slavery, trafficked him for 20 shekels of silver. Today's currency, $160. Split 10 ways, $16 a brother to sell their younger brother into slavery. The, the heartlessness of, of these brothers, just consider this with me. The heartlessness of these guys. They, they throw their younger brother, their 17-year-old brother into a cistern, into a dry, useless well, and sit down and enjoy a meal while they hear him yelling and crying out for his life. Then they sell him into slavery for a profit, a small portion of profit. Then they come up with this horrifying story to tell their father, Jacob. That's where we're going to pick up this morning with your copy of God's word. As you go to the very first book of the Bible, it should be easy to find. Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. And once you open up your Bible, if you don't mind keeping it open the remainder of the morning, this is the book that we'll be in. We'll go through a few different chapters seeing this story. They present this horrifying false story to their father, Jacob. This is where we pick it up in Genesis chapter chapter 37, of verse 31. Then they, the brothers, they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. Hmm, a robe dipped in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors, which probably is honestly not the best translation of many colors. It really means of many intricacies. And so it wasn't necessarily a coat of many colors. I know that messes up the musical completely, but it seems to a little bit be more about the, the stitching inside of, of the robe. They sent that robe of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. Not our brother, your son. Does this robe belong to your son or, or not? The rest of this story, Jacob weeps. He rips his clothes. He is overwhelmed with grief. He is inconsolable. 
So Joseph is taken by those Ishmaelites, those traveling merchants, are sold. He is sold to the Egyptians, but because of his wisdom and his integrity, because of his insight, because of his organizational skills, he begins to, to rise there in the ranks in, 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 in Egypt and become second in charge in Egypt, pretty much like the prime minister. And the Pharaoh, the mighty king of all of Egypt, takes off his ring and gives it to Joseph, takes off his robe and gives it to Joseph tells people when Joseph enters that they need to bow down and worship him. And then Pharaoh gives his own daughter to Joseph in marriage. Hmm. Authority of the king, robe of the king, worshiped as the king, family of the king. Put that into your back pocket for later. So back in Canaan, Jacob and his 11 sons, because now there's a little bro, Benjamin, there's famine. But in Egypt, because of Joseph's wisdom and insight and organizational skills, there's surplus there. So Jacob decides to send those 10 older brothers into Egypt to get some food because they're starving, to find some food. So let's pick it up now in Genesis chapter 42. Just go a few pages to the right, Genesis 42. On your device, just type in 42. Let's pick it up here in verse 6. So in Genesis chapter 42, verse 6. So these 10 older brothers, they have now made their way to Egypt. They're, they're starving. There's famine in Canaan. They have left their youngest brother, Benjamin. They, have, of course, left their father there as well, Jacob. So 42, 6. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came, and they bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and even spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. It had been 20 years. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you're spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land, which I know is kind of an interesting uh, usage of a word there in the ESV, but it means the vulnerability. You've come to kind of stake Egypt out to see if there's some vulnerability, some nakedness, so you could come and, and attack our nation. And so they, they said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, no, it is the vulnerability, it is the, is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see, Joseph said. And they said, we, your servants, are 12 brothers the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. Behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. Not realizing the one who is no more is the one to whom they were speaking. And Joseph wants to feed his family. He wants to take care of these betraying brothers. He wants to take care of his father, and, and he wants to see this, this brand new young brother. Now, no one's really certain if Joseph was aware that Benjamin was even born at all. Maybe Benjamin was just a baby when Joseph was dropped into the well, traded as, as a slave. Or maybe it's in this narrative right here. He first hears that he has a younger brother. He wants to feed his family. He wants to see Benjamin. So he makes this plan. Same chapter, chapter 42, verse 18. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. 
if you really are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined here in Egypt where you are in custody. And let the rest go, and you can even carry grain for the famine of your households. And bring your youngest brother, speaking of Benjamin, to me. So your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Listen to this wait. Verse 21. They said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. They're talking about Joseph now. And that we saw the distress of his soul when they dropped him in that pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites. When he begged us while we were eating lunch and we did not listen, that is why this distress now has come upon us. And, and Reuben, he answered them, and this is a true thing, did I not tell you not to sin against that boy Joseph? But you didn't listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph even understood what they were saying, but there was an interpreter between them. Then he, Joseph, turned away from them and wept. And he returned to the brothers and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him up, in fact, before their, their very eyes. Poor Simeon. I mean, he, he's, the, he's the second son of Jacob, the second son of Israel. And they're going to have to tie him up and leave him there while the rest of the family goes back with, with food to see father. The, the, the poor second child, they always get the flack, don't they? Amen, second children out there, Amen. Actually, I'm the oldest. I think second children whine all the time. So here's, here's Simeon, the second child. He's left in captivity. So now there's nine brothers, right? Because Joseph, seemingly out of the picture, Benjamin's back home. Simeon is tied up. So nine brothers now return to Canaan. And over time, they're having to convince their father, Jacob, will you let Benjamin come back? Now, you can imagine dads especially. This poor father already thinks that his son Joseph is dead. Simeon, his second son, is in captivity in another nation, a pagan nation. And he looks at young Benjamin thinking, do I want to lose this son potentially also? So the brothers have to convince their dad, if, we, if we're going to eat, if we're going to survive, if we're going to live during this famine, we're going to have to go back and we're going to starve. And so they return and Simeon is free. And now Joseph is about to identify himself. This is the big reveal. Look at Genesis chapter 45, verse 1. Genesis 45, verse 1. I love the turning of your Bible pages, by the way. So if you're on a phone, just... Make some noises with your mouth that sound like Bible pages turning. Preacher's favorite sound. That was it. I heard it down there. That was great. It was a great sound. Verse, chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph, he couldn't even control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried. Like in Hebrew, he wept aloud. He, he is shaking in tears. Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him. And Joseph made himself known to his brothers. So verse 1 means everyone in the court, everyone in the great hall, they're all gone. Now before him is just his brothers. Verse 2, and he wept aloud. <laughs> so obnoxiously that the Egyptians heard his weeping. And the household of Pharaoh heard his weeping. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers, jaws on the ground, could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, listen to this tenderness, come near to me, please. And they drew near. They came near. And he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. 
And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And Joseph's brothers and and Benjamin and and Jacob, they're going to be provided for very richly by Pharaoh and, and his house and his kingdom. Look at that same chapter, Genesis 45. Look at verse 12. Just jump down a few verses, 45, 12. This is still Joseph speaking. He says, and now your eyes see. And the eyes of my brother Benjamin. So Benjamin was there. Benjamin in Hebrew. Benjamin, you see, that is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of, of all my honor in Egypt and all that you have seen. So hurry and bring my father down, down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. Have you noticed there's a lot of crying in this story? And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And then he kissed all of his brothers and he cried and wept over them. After that, his brothers talked with him. In other words, they fellowshiped with him. And when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And and Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your beast and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your household. And you come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you shall eat the fat of the land. So the family comes. They're all reunited together. There's such warmth, there's so much joy in seeing one another again, coming back together, reuniting as a family. But, but time marches on, as it always does. And Jacob dies. And let's pick it up, the very last chapter of Genesis. The father of Jacob, or Israel, has died in Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. And when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. In other words, they are not convinced of the full grace of Joseph. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, hey, your father gave this command before he died, which is probably a lie. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and they fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you... You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you. I will provide for your little ones. Then Joseph comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Four ways we see Jesus in this story. Here's the first. Jesus has the authority and the robe and worship of a king, but the tear ducts of a child. Pharaoh had given the robe, the ring, the authority to Joseph. Joseph was now literally speaking for the king, was standing in the place of a king. He had the right to be worshipped. God has given all of that to his son Jesus, but for eternity... And let me say to you today, family, Jesus weeps. 
just as we see Joseph weeping all throughout this story, Jesus weeps much like Joseph over us, over our faithlessness. Jesus weeps in the gospels for the lost in Jerusalem. As he was coming down on the east side of Jerusalem, he collapsed in tears, weeping for the lost in that city. He weeps as he prays to the father. Hebrews tells us in chapter five, verse seven, that during the earthly days of Jesus, he came before the father in prayers with tears and loud cries. There is nothing biblically to say that Jesus does not still pray that same way for you today. With tears. With loud cries before the Father. Oh, faithless Christian, Jesus weeps for you. Oh, friend who does not know Jesus, he weeps for your salvation. He weeps for you to come home. He weeps for you to know him. Just as Jesus wept for Mary and for Martha in the death of Lazarus, Jesus weeps today with all those here who are grieving, who are lonely, who are hurt, who feel so lost. Waco, Jesus weeps over our sin. Jesus weeps over our arrogance. Jesus weeps over our self-righteousness. He weeps over racism. He weeps over abortion. He, He weeps over abuse. He weeps over hunger. He weeps over division in the church. He weeps over stinginess. He weeps over our egos. Please know he is the king. He is the mighty king, the Lord of all, the Lord of heaven and earth. But he is also the mighty king who is gentle and lowly and weeps for us and weeps with us. There is no other religion in the world that has a weeping God. Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, they do not have a God who weeps. We have a weeping savior, our Lord Jesus Christ weeps secondly Jesus is full of grace and full of truth the the, the brothers did you notice this in the story in fact if you were to read the narrative this week it's chapter 37 to chapter 50 in the book of Genesis more is given to Joseph than it is to Abraham to, to Moses to Noah in the book of Genesis And then the brothers, they're beginning to wear the weight all throughout these chapters of their sin. They're beginning to understand that they're living in the consequences of what they have done. They were wrestling now. You heard it a little bit earlier. They're wrestling with the truth of what they had done to their brother. It is a true thing. These brothers were sinister. And Joseph begins to bring out the truth of what happened. Joseph begins to pull out from them The true story, but he also begins to give grace and more grace. Same with Jesus. He comes to our lives with with truth. And the truth is, we're broken people. The truth is, we are messed up people. The, The truth is, we have sinned against one and one alone, and that is God. We have sinned against him. The truth is, we can't do a thing about our own shame. We can't do a thing about our own guilt, our own stupid mistakes. And Jesus tells us that truth, but then he comes, and by his cross, and by his blood, and by his love, he offers us his grace, his forgiveness, new life. The grace of Jesus is what we need the most and deserve the least, but he offers it 
constantly, unceasingly. That is a true statement of every person in this house, especially the preacher. What we need the most is the same thing that we deserve the least. And praise his name, he offers it to us unceasingly. Christian, those established in Christ, Jesus will offer you grace time and time and time again until you look more and more and more like Jesus. Non-Christian, those who are not in Christ today, Jesus will offer you grace and grace time and time and time again until there is no more time to receive that grace. I plead to those today without Christ to turn to him today while it's still called today. Thirdly, Jesus forgives the guilty no matter the greatness of sin. Would you contemplate with me and consider with me all that's been forgiven by Joseph? A slavery, hatred, envy, attempted murder, and lying. Joseph forgives all these things, yet Joseph is so much less than Jesus. Someone needs to hear this. Jesus will forgive the grossest, most vile, most upsetting, illegal, vile, jacked up thing you have done. His grace is greater than your sin. You would say perhaps today there is no way God can forgive me for what I've done. Preacher God, you have no idea what I have done. Let me say this to you. Not only is his grace greater than your sin, his feet are fast enough to pursue you. And his arms are long enough to save anyone here today. He is mighty to save. And if you're uncertain how gracious God will be towards you, stare at the cross. Where he was opened up for you and I to enter into a brand new living way. If you're uncertain of how gracious God might be to you, just like the brothers were so uncertain of Joseph's steady grace toward them, look, stare directly at the cross and see that he died in his love for your forgiveness. Fourthly, lastly, at the cross of Jesus. What the enemy meant for evil, God turned for our good. It was the spirit of Satan inside of those brothers that that drove them to want to kill Joseph, to throw him into a well, to sell him off, never to be seen again. But God turned it for good. He put Joseph into a place of influence, a place of saving, a a place of authority. Did you see it back in chapter 45? God put Joseph in a place of life. And on that Friday, when Christ was crucified, the demons howled with laughter. And Satan raised his arms in victory for the darling of heaven had been murdered and the people of God would no longer be forgiveness there would be no forgiveness for God's children God's one and only son had been sent off never to be seen again but the blood that flowed from that cross spoke a better word it became the currency 
pay for all of our shame, to pay for all of our sin, we too would be provided for richly. The body on that cross and the body in that tomb purchased for us life that would last forever. You see, God turned the evil of the cross for our good. And then the earth shook in delight stone rolled back that we might live forever would you stand with me please and pray Jesus we believe that God has given you all authority that God has given you the robe of righteousness that God has allowed you to be worshipped as the king there is no doubt In my mind today, I hope no doubt in any minds here today that you are the Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord of all. You are mighty in battle. You are mighty in your strength. And yet you are a gentle and lowly king, one who weeps with us and weeps over us. The cross, what the enemy meant for evil, for destruction, God, you turned it for our good that many might live. We praise today this one who laid his life down by his own authority that we might be forgiven, that all of our shame, our guilt, our vile, disgusting things that we have done would be forgiven. You would pay it all. Jesus, we want to see you. In scripture, yes, we want to see you in our lives. We want to see you every day. We want to see you lifted up. We want to see you as king. We want to see you as the gentle and the lowly one who weeps with his own people. We praise you for your presence here today and for the cross, for an empty tomb. In that name we pray, in that name, and for that name we sing. Amen.